I'd like to turn to Luke's Gospel. I want you to listen to the song of the angels when Jesus was born. It was a new beginning. God was coming down to earth as a man and see what the angels sang in Luke, just one verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 14. The angel has just said to them that there will be a sign to you, verse 12, that the baby will be wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then all the angels praised God, said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. God is not pleased with all men. We know that very clearly. With all the sin and evil in the world, God is certainly not pleased with them. But there are two things there must be in our life. One is we seek to live for the glory of God. That's the first part. And if we are men and women with whom God is pleased, there will be peace among us. There will be peace in our hearts and peace among us. And you see what a tremendous absence of that peace there is. First of all, in the hearts of many Christians, there's so much of unrest and fear and anxiety which is all in evidence of a lack of peace and uh, the tremendous amount of strife and conflict and harsh words that are spoken in homes between husband and wife, a lack of peace there, a lack of peace in many churches and a lack of peace in the world. All of this is contrary to the will of God. So, when God has placed us as Christians in a world where there's no peace at all, our calling is to manifest that peace. Jesus said to his disciples, have salt in yourselves and be be at peace with one another. So, this peace has to begin first of all in our hearts. So, let's think about this a little bit. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We must be absolutely convinced at all times that there's nothing in our hearts which prevents us from being in fellowship with God. That's the meaning of peace with God. To have peace with God means God is perfectly happy with us. Now God is not happy with the rest of the world. The only way He can be happy with us is if we keep our conscience clear. That's all. That's all we got to do. We don't have to have a record of having lived so many years 
in perfection or any such thing, but if we can keep our conscience clear, we have peace with God. That's what it says here, being justified by faith. And it goes on in verse 9 to say that that justification is through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, this is something we must be very careful about. I find that a lot of Christians are not very careful about making sure there's peace in their conscience between them and God at all times. There's not a single moment in our life where we must have something weighing down on our conscience because something is unsettled. Something we have not confessed to God. Something we have not set right with man. There will be no peace. And if there's a lack of peace, I want to say to you, it's like having a thorn stuck in your body somewhere. The longer you ignore it, the more likelihood of it getting infected and it will be much more difficult later on to set it right. And even little children know that. That if a thorn gets into your hand or foot or anywhere, you pull it out immediately. Remember this, that a prick in your conscience is actually worse than a thorn in your body. I've said this for years, but i found through the years that you need to say it again and again and again, because many don't realize it. I mean, the devil has made us deceived, has deceived us concerning what harms our body and what harms our soul and spirit. So that we, the mark, I believe the mark of a worldly man is he's more concerned about what harms his body than what harms his eternal soul. And when we are really born again and the things of the spirit become more real to us than the things of the body, then we realize that a pain in our conscience is actually worse than a pain in our body. A pain in our body is not going to cut us off from God's presence at all. It just is uncomfortable. But if I keep my conscience disturbed and not set right, God is not in fellowship with us. We don't have peace with God. And we can't hear God. And in moments of when we have to take a decision, we don't know what we are supposed to do. And that is, I want to say to you, to every one of you, even if you are a new believer, that is not the way God wants you to live. In Romans 8, and verse 6, it tells us that if your mind is set on the Holy Spirit, in other words, if the Holy Spirit and you are in tune with each other, there will be life and peace. This is the way we can know God's will when we are considering something. I think of, say, two courses of action. Which is the course of action along which I feel at peace in my heart? If I'm seeking the glory of God, you know, that's what the angels sang. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with, among those with whom God is pleased. And here it says, the mind that is set on the Holy Spirit is peace. And this is through the years I have found, this is the way to know, how to know whether what I'm choosing is the will of God or not. 
If I am seeking the glory of God, there will be peace in my heart about the decision I take. And I don't need to hear a voice from heaven. Because today God is not speaking to us from heaven, He is speaking to us from within. That's why in the Old Testament you read frequently God spoke from heaven because He was not within people's hearts. But now in the New Testament, now the Holy Spirit has come, He speaks from within and we need to really develop the habit of hearing His voice. It's the most important thing in the Christian life is to be able to hear the voice of the voice of God through the Holy Spirit within us. I want to say to you, my dear brothers and sisters, don't ever be satisfied with a life where you cannot hear God speaking to you in your spirit. Because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I want us to repeat, the first words he speaks are to your conscience. Because if sin is not removed from our conscience, we cannot hear God speaking other things. So many people see God's will in different areas and they say we can't hear Him. Do you know it is God's will for you to hear Him? But the reason we don't hear is a deafness that comes because we are not listening to the voice of conscience. Very, very important. And that's going to be important in the final day as well. Because the Apostle Paul said in Acts of the Apostles in chapter 24 in the final day of judgment I mean Paul says verse Acts 24 in verse 15 he says I have a hope in God which these other men also cherish there will certainly be two resurrections all human beings who died are going to be raised up. But they are not going to be raised up together. There will be a resurrection of the righteous and then a resurrection of the wicked. So, we want to be in the resurrection of the righteous. There are going to be two resurrections. There is no doubt about it. And in Revelation chapter 20 it says they'll be separated by a number of years. So one is called the first resurrection and the other is called the second resurrection. All men are not going to be raised up together. There will certainly, 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 verse 15, be a resurrection of the righteous and a resurrection of the wicked. I believe that. Paul believed it. And he says, so what shall I do about it? How can I ensure that I am going to be or you're going to be in the resurrection of the righteous. Paul says, in view of this, since there is, since it's going to be like this, I do my best. He doesn't say, well, I accepted Christ 10 years ago, so I'm definitely going to be in the resurrection of the righteous. That's what a lot of people say today. But that's not what Paul said. You never find that sort of answer anywhere in scripture. This is one of the great deceptions in Christianity. Oh, I accepted Christ 20 years ago. And the way they live today, you think there's absolutely no difference between that guy and an unbeliever. What's he uses saying that he accepted Christ so many years ago? He, he said some words. Christ never came into his heart. He wasn't serious about it. We have to be sure that Christ has really come in. Now I believe one mark of it is that you will hear him convict your conscience. One of the things I found in my own life was before I gave my life to Christ, my conscience was pretty dead. I could read things and do things which were wrong, but 
didn't disturb my conscience. But one of the things that happened when I got converted was I, it didn't take 10 years for that. Suddenly something happened in me. That's how I knew. I mean, for many, many years I'd asked Christ to come into my heart, but I know one day it really came. How do I know that? Because suddenly my conscience became sensitive. See, even to a thing like going to a movie where uh, maybe there are good movies and bad ones, but 99% of them are bad. And uh, here I was, I was I was in a naval base and I got converted there. And I was the one who used to take others to the movies before that. And after I got converted, two of my friends came to me one day and said, Hey Zach, let's go, to, there's a movie inside the naval base at this naval base cinema theater, let's go there. And I'm sorry to say, I did not have the boldness to tell them, friends, I've changed. Christ is my Lord now and I don't go to movies. I didn't have the boldness. I was a coward. So I walked with them. But as I walked with them down that road, there was a cry in my heart, Lord, save me from this. I don't want to go. There's something happened in me. I know something happened. And I was praying that silently all the way as we walked towards the movie theater. And when we reached the movie theater, there was a notice there saying, we did not receive the movie reel, so the movie is cancelled. I felt like shouting hallelujah. I was so excited and happy. And these other guys were disappointed. That day God showed me that if I really seek Him, He will do amazing things to help me walk the way He wants me to walk. But when I came home, the Lord said to me, I won't do that next time. Next time you yourself have got to tell them that I'm not coming with you. That's also important, because otherwise I'd be a coward all my life. And so, But I got so much boldness from that one incident where God supported me, that I said, Lord, I'm not ashamed to tell them next time. We must not be ashamed to tell people that we're different now. We don't do those things. So, conscience begins to get activated. And from that time, uh, I, I mean, to use an illustration, my conscience was like a weighing machine where even if you put one ton on it, the needle won't move. But then suddenly I got converted and I found the needle began to move. And then as time went on, even small, small things, little, little weights, the needle began to move. That's one mark that you know you're growing spiritually. That now even smaller things begin to convict you. Not major things, but smaller things. You get disturbed when you raised your voice at home at your wife or husband. And you get convicted about it. You ask God to forgive you and you go and apologize to your husband and wife. Now you never did that before. You're too proud to do it. It's only pride that prevents us from asking forgiveness from someone whom we hurt. But that needle began to move. And I found as, as time went on through these all these now, 60 years now, small, small things which never disturbed me even five years ago are disturbing me now. It's a constant growth. And that's the way you know you're growing. Your peace in your heart is disturbed with small things. Peace is the mark that you're in tune with the Holy Spirit.
So Paul says here, I do my best, verse 16, to always keep a blameless conscience because I want to be in the resurrection of the righteous. I do my best to keep my conscience blameless before God and before men. Not just before God, but before men. The test of your humility when you commit a sin is not that you confess to God. That's easy. The test is whether you can confess to that person whom you hurt, especially if it's your wife or husband. If you can't do that, you have to say to yourself, Lord, I'm a proud person. If I were humble, I'd immediately acknowledge and ask forgiveness. Why can't I do that? What does it cost? Just a few words out of your mouth, and that pride stops those words that they never come out. And the danger of that is that God doesn't give grace to proud people. We can live all our life without the grace of God and imagine that everything's all right with us. So Paul said, I'm going to be very careful. I do my best. What a word. I do my best. That's what we encourage our children when they go to school, to do their best in their studies and examinations. Paul says, I do my best to keep my conscience blameless, not only before God, but before men. Just take that latter part. I do my best to have a good conscience before all human beings. That means no human being could say, Paul hurt me and he didn't apologize. Paul once shouted at a judge in the court, we read in Acts 23, but he said it right immediately. He was like that. So no human being should ever be able to say to us that this guy hurt me and he never said it right. You know that that place where Jesus said about anger in relation to people. Please turn with me to Matthew 5. When Jesus said that your, Matthew 5 and verse 20, he said your righteousness must be more than the righteousness of the Pharisees. The first example he gave was, I say to you, verse 22, the Pharisees only said don't commit murder. Your righteousness must be more than that, verse 22. You mustn't be angry. And if you do get angry, <clears throat> you speak to your brother, you'll be guilty. When you say something more, you're more guilty. So, here's the point now. When you come to pray to God, when you come to present your offering at the altar, that means when you come to offer your prayer to God, it may be all alone in your house. You're praying for something. And there you remember that you'd hurt your brother with something you said. Or you hurt your wife or husband or a servant at home or your son or daughter. It doesn't matter who they are. Don't think that some people are inferior to me so I don't have to ask forgiveness from them. There's nobody inferior. All are equal before God. If I hurt somebody, I must ask forgiveness. And if you... And as you come to pray and you remember that you hurt somebody, your conscience is telling you that, the Lord said, stop praying. Leave your offering there. Go to that person you hurt and be reconciled. That is to have a good conscience before men. And we must live like that every single day. I'm convinced that 99.9% of prayers that people pray, God doesn't hear because of this reason 99.9% do you know the number of believers I have met 
who have this problem. Whenever people come to me, say, Brother Zach, please pray for me, I'm sick with something. I ask them two questions. I say, have you forgiven everybody? Have you asked forgiveness from those you hurt? That's all. I'm not going to ask any more. And I've known brothers and sisters who say, yes, it's all clear. I say, then there's no hindrance for God to answer prayer. But I also know some people who hesitate at that point. They're honest. As soon as I ask that question, their conscience troubles them. Then I say, brother, sister, please, it's no use my praying for you. It's a waste of time. The channel is blocked. There can be floods of water on top. Nothing will come to your life. Because you have blocked it with an unwillingness to apologize to somebody you hurt or the other way around, you haven't forgiven somebody who hurt you. And that's how the devil kills two birds with one stone. It's an expression in English. You threw one stone to kill one bird and two got killed. So the devil makes somebody hurt you. That's one stone. He knocked him down. But he knocked you also down without even touching you. The devil didn't touch you. He touched that person to come and hurt you. Only one stone. But he knocked you down by your attitude of not forgiving that person. He's accomplished his will. And do you know the amount this goes on among believers around the world. It's tragic. And one, you know, we had to be very careful when to ask ourselves, do I really have peace in my heart or not? With every human being. We must live like that every single day, every single moment. Others may not be at peace with me. That's, and that's not possible. Because the world is full of strife and conflict. And that's why the Bible doesn't say we have to be at peace with everybody, but we must have peace in our heart. That's what the Bible says. And so, for example, peace with other people. Romans chapter 12, it says, Romans 12, do you know that this is, as far as I know, the only command in the Bible which begins with the words, if possible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, if possible, don't get angry. If possible, don't commit adultery. If possible, don't tell lies. If possible, love people. No. No command in the Bible is prefaced with the words, if possible, except this one. And then you need to ask yourself, why? If possible, as far as it depends on you, Be at peace with all men. Supposing there was a command which said, just that first part is left out, be at peace with all men. I would never be able to obey it. Do you know the number of people in the world who are not at peace with me? Because I proclaim the whole counsel of God, the whole truth of God, and a lot of people who don't obey the whole truth of God, particularly preachers who love money and all that, they they hate me. How can I be at peace with them? I haven't hurt them. I just proclaimed God's word. 
People are hurt because we preach victory over sin. They say, no, 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 it's bringing people under condemnation. What shall we do? Just tell them, no matter how you live, God forgives you. That will be a lie. Their, their blood will be on my hands in the day of judgment. They'll ask me, Zach, why didn't you tell us the truth? So, there could be many reasons why even though you seek for peace, somebody else doesn't want peace with you. This happens among relatives and families. One person becomes an out-and-out Christian and the other members of the family are not serious about that at all. Maybe they're nominal Christian and they don't want to have much to do with this person who's really born again and wholehearted. What shall he do? Does he have to keep bowing down to them, bowing down to them, trying to please them, giving gifts to them, all that just to be at peace with them? No, forget it. As much as it lies in you, if possible, wonderful words. Otherwise we'd been, uh, have a guilty conscience all the time. It's a tremendously releasing word. And God is, you know, God knows that it's not possible with all men. And that's why this is the only command which is prefaced by, if possible, as much as it lies in you, that means you do your best. And after you've done your best, they don't want to be at peace with you, just forget it. Forget about them. Don't go chasing after them, begging them, like a beggar saying, oh, please be at peace with me. No! Do you know that most of the Pharisees were not at peace with Jesus? They called him Beelzebub and they were angry with him and upset with him. But Jesus didn't go begging them, oh, please be at peace with me. I want to be at peace with you. Rubbish. He was the prince of peace. But a lot of people were not at peace with him because he spoke the truth. But he didn't have any bitterness against anyone. That's for sure. So as much as it lies in you, be at peace with all men. Let me give you the example, one example of Jesus, how it was with him. Matthew chapter 12, it's a great example that always I think of in relation to forgiving others. You know, Jesus fulfilled a ministry and any servant of God who stands up for the truth and fulfills a ministry is going to run into conflict with people. If you're a compromiser, you will not offend anybody. So if you don't want to offend anybody in the world, just be a downright compromiser and you'll just miss out on the day of judgment when God sends you to hell. But otherwise, if you want to be out and out for God, you are going to run into conflict with your relatives first of all. Matthew chapter 12, there was a demon-possessed person who was blind and mute and Jesus healed him. What a miracle. I mean, everybody should have been excited with that. And the ordinary people who are not Bible scholars... They were excited. This man is the son of David perhaps. But the Pharisees who were jealous. You know jealousy brings, makes a person accuse people. Very often accusation comes out of jealousy. If you are doing much better than somebody else. Particularly in a family. You know this can even happen where your children are doing better than your brother's children or sister's children. That causes jealousy in them. There's a lot of this. I've seen it consistently. They were jealous that Jesus was able to do what they couldn't do. This guy who they had seen him many times, they couldn't do anything for him. Jesus did something, set him free. They should have been happy like all the others. They said, no, 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 this guy is casting out demons by the 
ruler of demons, Beelzebul, verse 24. And I want you to see Jesus' response to that. Verse 32. He told them, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. Immediately. Did you call me prince of devils? Folks, forgiven. And it's very interesting what he says there. He doesn't just say, I'm really excited to see that. I'm not just forgiving you. For the next 2,000 years, if anybody speaks a word against Jesus, he's forgiven right now. I like that. Forgiveness in advance for people who are going to speak against Jesus. Do you know the number of people in the world today who speak against Jesus Christ? It's sorry to see the, the movies they make about Jesus, picture him, picturing him like a homosexual or somebody who's fooling around with Mary Magdalene. and All this evil. And God is watching from heaven. Do you think people have spoken evil about you and your children and your family? Think of what they're saying about Jesus. And God is watching all this. People saying this about His Son who came to earth to die for them. And what is the word? Forgiven. Did you call Jesus Prince of Devils? Forgiven. Did you call Jesus a homosexual? Forgiven. Did you call say that Jesus is fooling around with Mary Magdalene? Lies, lies, lies. Forgiven. And that taught me something in my own life. That whenever I hear that somebody has, I haven't met him, but somebody somewhere, somebody reports to me, Brother Zach, this person spoke evil about you. And I say in my mind, Lord, I've forgiven him. Immediately. I don't want to meet him. I say it's forgiven. Then another day I hear somebody else did something to hurt me or my children. Lord, forgiven. I want to encourage you, my dear brothers and sisters. Do you want to live in the peace of God always? This is the way. Learn to forgive. Don't wait till you meet that person. You may never meet him in your life. Forgive him or her immediately. Your heart will be at such rest. The devil has knocked him down with one stone, but he will not be able to knock you down as well. We are to be conquerors over Satan. And many people think they are overcoming Satan, but they haven't forgiven somebody. Very, very important to follow Jesus' example here. See, and Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, these are words you're familiar with, but we need to be reminded of it again and again. Speaking about confessing, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, if I confess Jesus before men, the Lord says, I will confess your name before the Father. You know, whenever I make it clear to people I belong to Jesus Christ I'm a disciple of Christ by my actions, by my words my Lord is confessing me before my His Father I want that confession I don't care what these guys think about me they may think I'm a crazy person who is old fashioned believing all the standards of the Bible about marriage and sexual relationships and all that purity and all that that homosexual relationships are forbidden in scripture Okay, people think I'm crazy for believing all that. That's fine. But my, fa- my Lord is confessing me in heaven at that time. When I stand against a world that's drifting away from God, my heaven, Lord Jesus is confessing me. If you confess me before men, I stand for the truth of God's word. He will confess me before my Father. But 
if I deny him, and how do I deny him? I'll tell you. Sometimes I can deny him by just keeping quiet. If I see, for example, that among my relatives or the people in the office, when they are talking about something, they are saying something completely contrary to Christ or his word. And I say, oh, there are ten people here and they all seem to be agreed on that. I'm the only odd person here standing up for the truth of Christ. I better keep quiet. Fine. At that moment, Jesus will deny you before the Father in heaven. I don't want that. I'd rather all these ten people gang up against me and uh, yell at me. I'll tell them graciously. I say, friends, I don't agree with you. I'm sorry. I'm not here to fight with you, but I, I just want to express my disagreement with this conviction you have. Yes, I. many of my relatives have turned against me. Many, many, many of them. I, I love them. I hate nothing. I don't wish evil for them. I pray that they'll get converted, come into God's kingdom. But I'm not going to compromise on God's standards. Do you wonder why God doesn't back you up 100% in certain situations? I'll tell you. Because you don't confess Him before men. Be bold. He says, if you deny me before men, and sometimes we can deny just by keeping our mouth shut. You don't have to actively say, yeah, I agree with you fellas. No, 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 I just keep my mouth shut there. I'm denying Christ. The Lord will deny me. I don't want that. I, I don't care if a hundred people stand against me, but I don't want my Lord to deny me before my Father in heaven. And one day when he comes again, and my name is called up, and Jesus says, I don't know him. Wow. He said that. He said in the last day, some people will come, stand before him, and the Lord will say, I don't know you. Get away from me denying Jesus denying them before the Father I don't want that you know it's a big test we have it much easier in the first two three centuries the early Christians they had to proclaim Caesar is Lord light this lamp in front of this idol and proclaim Caesar is Lord and we let you go and those Christians even young ladies whose husbands were not Christians would say sorry Jesus Christ is Lord and they'd be tortured and killed burnt this is what our brothers and sisters suffered the first three centuries of Christianity and if you go to heaven if you get there you're going to meet some of them and you'll hear their stories how they stood for the Lord and died for their faith And then what will you tell them? Oh, I got scared to stand up for the Lord. If you're like that, I don't know whether you'll even be there. Dear brothers and sisters, ask the Holy Spirit to make you bold to stand up for the Lord. So he says, in this context, whoever denies me before men, Matthew 10.33, I'll deny him before my father. And then he says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? Peace in your heart? Yes. Glory to God in the highest and peace in the hearts of those with whom God is pleased. But there are a lot of people with whom God is not pleased. I have did not come to bring peace between you and other people. I came to bring a sword between you and other people. I've seen that through the years. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother 
and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own family. That's it. And many, many wholehearted Christians have experienced that through the years. And so he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It could be a son or a daughter who you love so much. You love your son or daughter more than me. He's not worthy of me. And that's where he says you've got to take up the cross. It's in our relationships with those who are closest to us. We have to take up the cross and follow after him. Verse 38. Let's turn now to Colossians in chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, it says here about peace again. Glory to God in the highest and peace in the hearts of men with whom God is pleased. I want to have peace in my heart. It's one proof to me that God is pleased with me. And here it says in Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And in the margin of my Bible it reads, be the referee. Let peace be the referee in your heart. That means when it's, it's like a a game. You know, in a, there are many games where there are referees. Soccer, for example, there's a referee, or in basketball, there's a referee. And when the referee blows a whistle, whatever you're doing, you have to stop. After the whistle, everything you do is not counted. You kick the ball into the goal, not counted. You throw the ball into the basket, not counted. You have to come back to the place where a foul was committed. That's the meaning of the referee blowing the whistle. Set that foul right, and then proceed with the game. That's the example used here. When you lose peace in your heart, you feel a bit uneasy about something in your heart. The referee has blown the whistle. And you have to stop. Whatever you're doing, you've got to stop. It's like while you were doing something important, a thorn got into your hand or foot. You'll stop. You won't continue. You'll pull out that thorn and then continue. That's exactly what it's saying here. You've lost the peace go and set that right. Let the peace of Christ be the referee in your heart. This is such an important thing. You know, in the Old Testament, it was not like that because people's conscience were not sensitive. They could do so many wrong things. Think of David who had seven or eight wives and on top of that goes and commits adultery with somebody else's wife and murders her husband. How could a person ever do that? Who calls himself a servant of God or Samson? fooling around with women and then standing up for the Lord as a judge. You say, how could people do that? I'll tell you. One reason, they did not have the Holy Spirit within. The Holy Spirit is upon them to help them to do a a work of delivering God's people, but He was not within. Once the Holy Spirit comes within, it's called the Spirit of Peace. Let the peace of Christ be the referee. The mind of the Spirit is peace. It's very important, my dear brothers and sisters, first of all, to have peace in our heart with God, always. And it's only by keeping your conscience clear with God and with men. You know, when 
<coughs> Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. He was a man who was despised by others. But the Holy Spirit knew that even though he was a very rich man, he had cheated so many people, there was conviction in his heart. It's like that woman caught in adultery or the Samaritan woman who had divorced five men and was now sleeping with a man who's not even her husband. The Holy Spirit saw some longing in their heart for goodness. You, know, you wouldn't think that a woman who's divorced five times and sleeping around with some man, uh, she's gone case. No, she's not a gone case. There was a desire in her heart, so the Holy Spirit sent Jesus to Samaria. Even the Jews did not normally walk through Samaria. Jesus went through because he had to help her. There are a lot of people whom we would look down upon and despise, who we think they're, they're not interested in God. Maybe there's a spark of something there. They're longing. They're longing for somebody to go and speak to them. You wouldn't have thought a man like Saul of Tarsus killing everybody would have any conscience. But he did. And God changed him and made him the greatest apostle. So here was Zacchaeus. And the Holy Spirit saw that there was a need in him. That's why he climbed a tree to see Jesus. And the Holy Spirit prompted Jesus to go to his house. And it's very interesting to see there in Matthew 19, just before he entered his house, he stopped. It's, a, it's an amazing word. I don't see it anywhere else in Scripture. It says in Luke 19, 9, as they were walking, Zacchaeus stopped. Can you picture this in your mind? Jesus and Zacchaeus walking towards his house, and just outside of the gate, he stops. I want to expand on what he said. Lord, you can't enter my house. It's a polluted house. Because I've swindled a lot of people's money and built this house. It's built with crooked, cheating money. So you can't enter it till I set something right. I want to give you my promise right now that all the people whom I cheated in all these years, I'll find out where they are and I'll go back and return four times. That is interest plus extra, the harm that I did to them. And there are some people, I don't even know their address, I don't know where they are, but I know how much I've cheated. I'm going to take all that money, that's almost half my wealth, and I'll give it to the poor. Because I can't keep it. It's money obtained unrighteously. I don't want a single cent in my bank account which I have earned unrighteously. And all these people I know, I'll return it personally. And do you know that's the only time that Jesus gave this amazing answer? You read through the whole Gospels. So one man, he gave this amazing answer. Verse 9, Luke 99. Today, salvation has come. When did salvation come to this man? When he decided to set everything right. And he didn't escape by saying, Oh, some people, Lord, I don't know their address. How can I return it? He didn't take that easy way out. He said, no, I don't know the address. I cannot return it to them. But it's not my money. So I'll give it to the poor. Or today I'd say I'd put it in the church offering box. Because ultimately God is the owner of everything. And the Son of Man, verse 10, has come to seek and to save even people who are lost in the love of money. That's the meaning of verse 10. I remember reading that verse many, many years ago. And I was honest with God. And I said, Lord, I want to confess I'm lost in the love of money. 
I said, Lord, I tell you honestly, I love money. Other people don't know it. I know it. But you came to seek and to save those who are lost in the love of money. I'm one of them. Please save me. Save me so thoroughly that I will not love money anymore. Like Zacchaeus. So that you can say about me, salvation has come to Zach Poonen and to his house. I want you to be able to say that about me. To me that's so important that Jesus can say that about me. That not only I'm saved, that my children will be saved and follow the Lord. Because I've decided to keep my conscience absolutely clear. The referee has blown the whistle. And everything I do after that is a foul. It's not counted. I'm wasting my time, wasting my life. I want to get back to that point. Zacchaeus came back to the point where the foul was committed, set right the foul, and the Lord said, now you can continue with the game. This is so very, very important. And I believe this is the way God wants to lead all of us on. Peace in our hearts, peace with God, and peace with one another. Let me show you another verse in this connection. Hebrews in chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which you will not see the Lord. You say, really? You mean if I don't pursue peace with all men, I won't see the Lord in the final day? No, you won't. You may have heard so many truths from other people. I'll tell you a lot of preachers don't show you these difficult verses in scripture. But you might as well face up to it. Pursue peace without which you will not see the Lord. Again, remember Romans 12, 16, as much as it lies in you, the other person may not want peace with you. Then what to do? There are many people who do not have peace with me, but I am not guilty. They don't want peace with me, what can I do? I want peace with them. I don't want to have a conflict in my heart against a single human being. I don't want it to that there be a single person in the world whom the Lord say, you're not forgiven that person. And you know, in our hearts itself we know whether we have forgiven somebody or not. Are you happy when some evil happens to them? <laughs> Clear proof you have not forgiven them. Are you unhappy if something good happens to them? Clear proof you haven't forgiven them. I find that is a good test for me to find out if I have forgiven certain people. Would you be unhappy if something good happens to them? Would you be happy if something bad happens to them? These are the two tests by which you can know without leaving your chair whether you have forgiven people or not. Can you sincerely wish the best for those people who have troubled you, harmed you, done such a lot of evil to you, or ruined your name, or ruined your family, or your children. Say, I don't wish any evil for them. I wish the best for them. My brother, sister, you're a blessed person because you're forgiven people. And you come back to the place where the foul was committed. You can proceed with the game. You'll make progress in your Christian life. That's why Paul said, I want to be in the resurrection of the righteous. And so I do my best to keep my conscience absolutely clear at all times with God and with men.
I'll never allow my conscience to be disturbed. There were years when I was unconverted, I didn't know God, and I was careless about my conscience, but no longer. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell within me, and the mind of the Spirit is peace. And sometimes the referee blows the whistle, I stop. Whatever I'm doing, I stop. You've seen that in basketball games and football games. Whatever they are doing, they must stop. Come back to the place where the foul was committed, set it right, and proceed. And the interesting thing is, it's so easy to do it. It's so easy to do it. Do you want to keep money with you, which you did not righteously earn? I'll show you an example from the Old Testament of somebody who kept money with him which he did not righteously earn. Turn with me to Second Kings and chapter 5. Second Kings and chapter 5. This is the story of a Syrian general called Naaman who had leprosy. And he came to Elisha. And Elisha said, go and dip in the river Jordan, you'll be healed. And he went and dipped and he was healed. And he was so delighted with that. You read that, Second Kings 5.14, he dipped himself seven times in Jordan and he was healed. That he, with his gratitude to the man of God, he came and stood before him and said, now I know that this is the true God. Please, please take this gift from me, from your servant. And he must have offered him a huge amount of money. And Elisha, the man of God, says, No. Verse 16, I will take nothing. These men of God did not serve God for money. They would never take money from an unbeliever. You say, well, Elisha was not working. How did he live? Because he... He received gifts from godly people who gave him. Not by his asking. God prompted godly people to support Elisha. That's how he lived. He didn't get money dropping from heaven. But when an unbeliever like Naaman came and gave, he'd say, no, I don't want anything from you. And that must have been a huge amount of money. So Naaman, they said goodbye and he went. And you can see later on, the type of compromiser Naaman was and why Naaman, Elisha discerned that. Uh, and Naaman said, I know, now I know, there's only the, only God is the true God, verse number 15. Uh, there is no God, but, but, he says, will the Lord forgive, verse 18, forgive me one thing? You know, my master was the king of Syria. Sometimes I go with him to the temple of the idol, Rimon. And he leans on me and he bows down to Ramon and if I don't bow down to Ramon I lose my job. Verse 18. So when he bows down I have to bow down to this idol. I hope the Lord Jehovah who healed me will pardon me. What's the answer to that? How can he pardon you bowing down to an idol which is no God when he healed you? Elisha says you're a compromiser. Go. I have nothing more to say to you. That's the meaning of that. Go in peace. You're not going to change. You're more interested in your job. Even though God healed you a little while ago of leprosy, nobody could heal you from. Your God, Ramon, couldn't heal you. And now you're worried about your job. You want to keep your job. And so you bow down to an idol. Do you know the number of Christians who to keep their job compromise their position? 
go away. But Gehazi, who had no fear of God, he thought, what a fool Elisha is to let these this man go away. He didn't even ask for the money. The man offered it. Okay, I'll go after him. Gehazi, by the way, was the servant of Elisha, just like Elisha was the servant of Elijah. And when Elijah went to heaven, Elisha got double the portion of the anointing. And if Gehazi had been faithful, when Elisha died, he would have got a double portion of the anointing. But instead of the double portion of the anointing, he got something else instead. Gehazi ran after Naaman, verse 21. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he says, what's happened? Is anything okay? And now he tells lies, just like the number of false reports that a lot of Christian organizations send out in order to get money from Western countries. 5,000 people have been converted here. Great revival. 10,000 people have been converted. And so many people, and we are running an orphanage for 2,000 orphans. <laughs> Same stories. It's all started with Gehazi. My master has sent me saying, two, two young men have come who have jo- come to join the Bible school. Can you please give them some clothes and some money? Oh, Naaman said, sure. Um, you asked only for one talent of silver, verse 22. I give you two talents. Take and plenty of clothes. Take it. And Gazi greedily grabbed it. What did he lose at that moment? The anointing of God that he could have got. Four times the anointing of Elijah. Can you imagine what the rest of Second Kings would have been? Stories of Gehazi the prophet. Greater than Elisha and Elijah. It all disappeared in a moment. Because of his greed. And he came thinking that Elisha did not know. You can't fool a man of God. I'll tell you this. You cannot fool a man of God. It's not possible. A man who's in touch with God like Elisha knows... He may not say anything to you, but he knows that you're fooling him. And he's not deceived. And Elisha told him, where have you gone, guys? I know, I didn't go anywhere. He tells a lie even to the man of God. And the 26, and Elisha says, I saw you. God showed him. This man went after Naaman to collect money. And he says, is this the time, verse 26, middle, to receive money and clothes from people? So you don't realize, Gehazi, there was leprosy in that money. There was leprosy in those clothes, and you got it. The leprosy that Naaman lost, you got, because you went after him. Not only you, here's the sad part, verse 27. Your children also will get that leprosy. You know, when a man has money in his account which he got by cheating, he brings a curse upon himself which will go on to his children because his children are going to get an inheritance from that cheated money. Be very careful that you don't pass on a curse to your children. And I can imagine years later, Gehazi's little boy, seven years old, coming to saying, Dad, I see a little patch in my hand. I don't have any sensation there. What's this, Dad? And Gehazi knows exactly what it is, because he himself got it. How did I get it, Dad? Will Gehazi tell him the truth? Son, long before you were born, I ran after money. I could have been a prophet, but I'd have been poor. 
If I were a prophet, I'd be poor like my master Elisha. I wanted to be rich. And I went and collected money in a wrong way. That's why you got it. What a story to tell his children. Keep your conscience clear. Zacchaeus' children were blessed because the man got rid of half of his money to settle us what disturbed his conscience. Peace in your heart and peace with others as much as it lies in you. This is the way we can make tremendous progress in our Christian life by leaps and bounds. We won't be crawling in our Christian life like we are doing now. We'll progress with leaps and bounds. Maybe never forget it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what instruction you've given us in your word. Help us to live by it. We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen.